A reading from Samuel. Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesus called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from 2 Corinthians. We are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. But we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. 
For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of the Lord. Thanks. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if someone scattered seed on the ground and would sleep night and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. And Jesus also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I remember going to um, church camp and seeing this in the gift shop and also working at a Christian bookstore. A little mustard seed and a little tiny vial. Anybody ever seen one of those or had one? You know, it's this great story and the way I always heard it was, you know, faith starts really small and it grows into this big bush. I suppose that can be true, but it's not always true. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of hyperbole going on because certainly the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. And uh, just between you and I, the mustard bush is not the grandest of all bushes. It's actually kind of an ugly, woody ornamental. Um, and Jesus' audience would have known that. It turns out when Jesus told this parable, there was a rabbinic law forbidding you to plant mustard in your garden. We often miss this because what we don't know is that mustard is an invasionary weed. Uh, so um, to help folks who don't know better, you can't plant weeds in your garden because you know what weeds will do, overrun the whole thing. The kingdom of God is like an illegal weed that you plant in your garden. <laughs> and look what it does when it grows up. It's big and the birds nest in it. And I'm not a gardener, I will tell you, but um, the last thing I really want in my garden are birds, which will eat the produce of the garden. Um, maybe it'd be better if Jesus said, the squirrels of the ground will nest. <laughs> the kingdom of God is like an invasionary weed that you plant against the law in your garden and harbors enemies of your produce. 
Happy Father's Day. <laughs> you, you know, it's this really interesting thing. I mean, I, I, those of you that are gardeners, I mean, mustard is kind of like mint, you know. And there's this dreadful mistake I made back in Atlanta, which is like Texas. There was cement growing, and I ran the mower over it. I was going to show that mint something. And, and <laughs> you, have you done this before? Uh, within two or three weeks, it was like four times the amount of mint. All I had really done is make a bad problem worse. Mustard does that. So the root systems go and they, they take over invasionary weed. And you know, beyond that, um, mustard, uh, you can do this experiment if you want to ruin your refrigerator. Take the lid off the jar and leave it in the fridge and just see what happens to the rest of the food and the refrigerator. It will smell and taste like mustard for a long time. I don't know how you clean that. Out, actually, once it gets into the plastic of the fridge, it's pretty destroyed. Uh, it does that taste-wise, too, when you grow it next to other plants. Like if you put mustard next to strawberries, not only will it eventually uproot the strawberry, it'll start to taste like mustard. Now you might be thinking, hey, a mint strawberry, I could live with that. But a mustard strawberry, I didn't think anybody wants that. Uh, beyond that, particularly when I read this parable, mustard is one of those like five things I can't eat because I just, I hate it. Uh, and, and I want to tell you, I think that's exactly what Jesus has in mind when he says the kingdom is like that. Something that you hate and despise and as a weed you would yank out. And the kingdom of God is like planting that in your garden so that the birds, your enemies, can eat your produce. I think what Jesus is trying to invite us to consider here is that um, God is really interested in people that we often aren't. Let me back up just a second before I make it difficult. You know, isn't that really nice to think about? Faith is small and it can grow. And really our faith should be an invasionary kind of thing. Like once we have a little bit of faith, it should start to dominate our lives. And everything we do should taste like God's kingdom. I understand that's a really nice image, right? And it becomes one of those criterion to think about whether in fact our lives are being invaded by what God has imagined for us or whether we're holding it back. Okay, now let me make it difficult. <laughs> we did that because I think that's a nice one. Um, this bit about God being in places and people that I think of as weeds becomes really, really helpful because as my dad taught me, it being Father's Day and all, a weed is really just a plant you don't want. I mean, nothing is inherently a weed. It's just whether we want it or not. And there are people I don't want in my life. <laughs> Often I try to yank them out. The question is, what does God want? What does God's garden look like? Seems like God is not really interested in monocultures. Like God's not interested in just having strawberries that we keep on the plant. Seems like God might be trying to get us to think that the reason we have fruits of the Spirit, you know, those things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit are precisely to feed other people who need that kind of nourishment, the birds of the air. There were these mustardy moments. These mustardy moments, I think, where we find God somehow 
hiding in other people. God, growing up, you know, in places we were sure God had no business being. And I imagine Jesus is trying to stretch our thinking a little bit on this so that we're able to look at people who we naturally don't like and say, wow, God has planted you. How can I nourish you with the fruits that I grow instead of you don't belong here? Jesus says this other interesting thing about seeds kind of doing their own thing. The earth produces the seeds. It's really interesting because um, I don't like growing things. Uh, I've tried a few times. I really tried hard with the avocado tree because I like avocados and it had lots of buds on it. And that's got to be the most difficult plant in the world to, to get to. Has anybody ever grown avocados successfully? Whew, that makes me feel better. Um, you know, I know what plants need. They need light and they need water and sun. And I've tried this before, giving them all the things they need and they don't work out. Have you ever done this before? You did everything you were supposed to do and it didn't work. And then darn it, there was the thing that you ignored and it turned out great. Have you, have you read this experience? I almost think that's what Jesus is saying, right? Is that, hey, sometimes growth happens not because of it. Sometimes it happens in spite of us. And the thing to do is to be grateful for it. It makes me think about the students I used to teach. You know, as a teacher, there were students I had a natural attraction to. Maybe they thought like I did, or they had really nice, you know, penmanship, or something that was really virtuous. And I loved those students, and I really invested in them. And, you know, some of them didn't grow at all. And then there were those other kids, you know, the ones that, they were not like me and they were not to succeed, and how interesting some of them succeeded in my class without my interest at all. Amazing how God can work like that, isn't it? I wonder if that isn't our, needs to be our awareness that these people we don't feel naturally attracted to are still God's children and our family members, and we're asked ultimately to nourish them, especially when we think that they're malnourished. Instead of yanking them from the ground, we're asked to nourish them. This is a hard parable, I think. In general, I think parables are all difficult because they're not really clean, easy analogies. If I told you that mustard seed is small and it gets big, that's a really easy analogy. Except, you know, like, I've been a Christian for a long time, like, pretty much nine months before I was born. And I've been, like, nourishing all this Christian stuff in church my whole life. And, you know, I meet people constantly who are better people than I am. Uh, so there's something wrong with my cultivating. You know, I mean, I, I, I am not as compassionate and generous and faithful as I would like to be. And, and, it's, and it's not because I'm not trying. It's not because they're even trying harder somehow. We don't really understand growth all the time. You know, I learned the seven spiritual laws and evangelism explosion, and that didn't make me like other people any more than I already didn't. <laughs> that was the interesting thing. I went through the programs, you know. There's something kind of parabolic about that. I mean, I knew God loves everybody. God doesn't like most people. That, that's really what I, what I grew up in, so I didn't have to like other people either, uh, which, which makes me think that the mustard seed parable is really trying to tell me, I've got some work to do. 
and the work might not be on how I treat the mustard, whether I pull it up, the work might be on whether I'm willing to grow alongside it, to nourish it and be nourished by it. And it's Father's Day and all, and I have these mustardy moments with my dad. My dad had like six things that he said. They were all really good things, you know, like he really had these six things that were good. I'll just tell you a few of them. Mustardy moments. The minute you think you are different from everybody else is the minute you are just like everybody else. It's an interesting mustardy moment because in general, I look at other folks and think, we are so different. <laughs> Sometimes I hate to admit that my dad's right. And then we have these parabolic moments. You know, it's interesting to think about dads particularly. It's kind of hard to be a dad, I think. I mean, being a parent's hard, but, you know, particularly fatherhood just seems really confusing, what that looks like. Well, I had this mustardy moment, I think, in my dad's life. He would never tell me about this. I don't even know how I learned this story. This moment about, you know, masculinity and being strong. And I, and I had this moment where I learned something on my dad that continues to give me this kind of gut-wrenching compassion. He... Um, he was drafted for Vietnam after only being married about six months. His, his father was on the draft board in the local county and pulled his number, which was like 250, even though it shouldn't have been called because, you know, he wanted his son to, to go to military service. That was a family value. So my dad went in 73, maybe? He did his basic training. He got to Vietnam, and the day he got to Vietnam, he got word that his fraternal twin, his sister, uh, had gone into a coma delivering identical twins. This, out of ten kids, she was the anomaly of the family. I mean, she was bright, wonderful by all accounts. One of those people, you know, that nobody has anything negative to say about, you know. And so my dad rushed back from Vietnam. He'd only been there a few days in time to see his sister for a few hours before she died. And he was there for the, the burial. And he went back to Vietnam, you know, having just lost his sister, being separated from my, my mom again. And he flew in his military fatigues. I mean, that was what you did, right? And so this was right after the May Lai incident. And a woman, uh, to protest May Lai, came up to him in the airport and spat in his face. And she had no idea what had just happened to him, you know? She had no idea. And I, and I wonder if Jesus isn't trying to get us to think about the mustard people in our lives. We have no idea what has just happened to them. Those people that we judge as weeds, we have no idea why they're so weedy why they're so heartbroken and acting in ways we would never approve of. Because we don't ask, and frankly, we don't want to. Because then we'd have to listen, which we don't want to. 
And I wonder if Jesus isn't trying to get us to think about making room for mustard people, because after all, weeds are just things we don't want. There's something really interesting parabolically about mustard and dads. <laughs> when I was a junior in high school, I brought home a friend from my physics class. Uh, we were going to go play putt-putt golf, and she'd just been working, and she came over to my house. We were just friends. She really was a, was a fun gal to be around. Uh, the only thing that maybe would be different was that she was black. Now, my parents had taught me that people are people. In fact, when my dad got back from Vietnam, his comment was that a communist is a man trying to feed his family. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I, and I want to sidebar here. My dad's told me stories. You know, I don't know. You never know if your dad's stories are true. <laughs> Uh, you never do. But my dad's told me these stories about how he felt like the army tried to teach him to dehumanize Vietnamese people so that when he killed them, he wouldn't feel so bad. After that, he came back and said that a communist was a man trying to feed his family. So let's chalk that up as another good one for dad, right? So that's the kind of way I grew up. This friend came over from work. She was going to change clothes. We were going to go play putt-putt, and she was black. And while she was in the bathroom, my dad basically came and said, you cannot go out with her and play putt-putt. You cannot do that. Because people will think you're dating, and that will damage your reputation. Like, you will have to suffer because people will think you're this mixed couple. I mean, I was flabbergasted. I could not believe my dad was telling me this. And what was interesting is they didn't forbid me. I, I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. I still went and played putt-putt and had a great time. Uh, but, I, but I remember this, and I was thinking how disappointed I was with my dad over this because it seemed so, well, frankly, parabolic against the things that he told me that people are. And beyond that, my dad grew up in rural Kentucky, and um, he served in mixed units, and there were epithets that he used that I think are unacceptable. And then later it turned out, when I was in college, and my dad, he had a nursery, and he sold plants at a farmer's market. That was feeling the only way that he made money, was selling these plants at a farmer's market. And one of the rules of the market was that you had to um, grow your own produce. You couldn't sell somebody else's produce. And that's how you vouch for that it was, you know, clean and organic and all that stuff, right? And there was a guy at the market who sold cabbages. That's all he sold. He was about a 70-year-old black man. He sold them out the back of his Honda CRV. And, uh, and again, you never really know when your parents tell you stories. <laughs> but I'm going to keep this one. Because whether or not it's true, it's the truth. This black guy selling cabbages was the only black guy at the farmer's market. And the other vendors got him thrown out because he was selling cabbages he didn't grow. And it was very well known that everybody at the market was selling things they didn't grow. <laughs> and 
as the story goes, my dad fought him. He fought him for throwing this man out because he was black. And as a result, my dad was thrown out of the market <laughs> and lost his only outlet to sell his plants. And God, I hope that story's true. Because I'm pretty sure that is what Jesus is asking us to think about. These parabolic moments where we transform the weeds into the produce. These parabolic moments where people who don't belong in our garden get nourished by fruits of justice with compassion. These parabolic moments where we see in the other God's handiwork. It's interesting to think on Father's Day <laughs> that God made Saul king and God regretted it. <laughs> Did you notice that line? God regretted making Saul king. Man, that means there's hope for me. <laughs> you know, if God has regrets, that means there is hope for us. And look what happens in the story. God sends Samuel to make somebody else a king. And Samuel looks at all of these fine-looking men. In fact, Jesse the dad parades his best-looking oldest kids one at a time. And none of them work. And the one that gets picked is the weed. He's a child. He's out with the sheep. You only have children do that. And God tells Samuel something really interesting. He says, you know, I don't look like you look. I don't look at other people the way you do. I don't look at the outside. I look at their heart. Their heart. Now, we usually think of the heart as the center of your emotions and your spirit, right? I was taught I had to accept Jesus into my heart. But you know, in the Bible, that's not what your heart means at all. In the Bible, uh, places in your body actually locate things differently. Your emotions in the Bible are in your bowels. I know that's really unattractive, but on Valentine's Day, a little heart would say, love you with my lower intestine, baby. Ooh, that much? <laughs> of course, you know why that is. You get butterflies in your stomach, you know? I mean, that's what happens. Um, when you hear the word heart in the Bible, it actually means the center of your will. Where do you think your will is centered? I usually think it's here, you know? It's here. Interestingly enough, in the Bible, your spirit is not in your heart, it's in your neck. It's right there. Um, so God looks at David's will. God says to Samuel, I don't look at the outside, I look to the will. And I just can't help but wonder if part of the way that we're able to look at the weeds and find God's presence in them, if it isn't because we dare take the time 
to look at the will. If we dare take the time to do what the author of this book we just finished reading today, Greg Boyle, encourages us to do, which is instead of looking with judgment on how people carry their burdens, to be filled with awe at the burdens that they have to carry. To wonder if somebody spat in the face of somebody who is in deep grief and that is why they're full of despair. I wonder if that isn't what God is asking us to do for the people we don't like. And to actually cultivate relationships with people we don't like because God does like them. And of course, the only way we can get to like people we don't is to take the risk of getting to know them. Even if that means it starts with nourishing people by listening to them. People we don't want to listen to. If weeds are just plants we don't want, I think the question we have to ask is which plants does God not want? And I wonder if this parable, instead of removing people from God's kingdom, isn't asking us to remove the parts of ourselves that would remove people from God's kingdom.